Well, I had a sermon typed out for this morning. And then uh, I got up early and started praying. And uh, started just begging God to speak to me. And, and uh, when I was all done, I, I felt like he, he really wanted me to preach a different passage of scripture this morning. Um, it's found in the book of Ezekiel, and it's Ezekiel chapter 33, and it's, uh, honestly, it's a passage I've never studied in depth before this morning, but as I was praying, and even last night, begging God, saying, God, do something, and help me just to be aware, moment by moment, of what you want to do, what you want me to say, um, this morning, as I was just studying this passage, it just every bit of it leapt out, you know, off of the page to me, and I, I just I, I gotta I gotta share it this morning. Um, Ezekiel was a prophet of God. Ezekiel was um, <laughs> well. Let me just let me just read. Okay, the first the first section, Ezekiel chapter three. Verse 1, the, the words, and I believe this was to me, I believe God said this to me, but I felt like I should share it to you anyways. Ezekiel 33, verse 1, it says this, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I've made, I have made a watchman for those in the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Okay, those are pretty strong words, right? God says to Ezekiel, listen, it's just like back then. If, if you see an army coming and you're called to be the watchman, you're on that watchtower and you see the army coming and you don't blow your trumpet and tell everyone, look, the army's coming. He goes, look, their blood is on your hands. He goes, but if you turn, you blow your, your, your trumpet and say, hey, look, look, you know, and he's saying it's the sword of the Lord. It's not just a regular army. If you're, you're telling them, look, God's wrath is really coming. And you warn the people and you tell the people, look, this is really coming. And the people choose not to do anything about it. 
They could have taken their sword. They could have gotten ready. They could have turned and been prepared. and every, They would have been saved. Everything would have been fine. He goes, but if they hear that, if they hear that and they don't turn, then their blood's on their own hands. But if you are scared to warn them or you don't say what I tell you to say, he goes, then their blood's on your hands. You're responsible. And so he's saying to Ezekiel, look, you're my watchman. If you know the wrath of God is coming, I have spoken that to you. And you don't warn the people. Not only will they die, but you will also. He says, you're, you're my prophet. And, uh, and as I was reading that this morning, because, okay, like, like, like last weekend. And, and you guys, I was, by Thursday, you know, I had a message together. And then on Friday, I thought, you know what? Forget that message. I should preach the same message I preached last week. Because did we really do anything with it? You know, and can we just move on beyond something like that? You know, that's what we do as in church. You know, we move on to a new topic now. And we don't really let the other one sink in. So then by Friday, I'm like, okay, let's just do that one over again. And then by yesterday, I'm in another world. And this morning, it's Ezekiel 33. Maybe we should just have church every day and I'll just preach a different message every day. But but I, I, I was thinking about last week's message. And I know that was hard. In fact, a friend of mine came up to me yesterday. He goes, so are you going to depress us again tomorrow? And, um, and he just went on to mention, look, some people uh, that came for the first time. That was pretty heavy for them. And I thought, you know, people came and heard Jesus for the first time. Can you imagine how heavy it would be for them? It was a lot harder. And, and we have to remember that, look, for any of you in this room to truly follow Jesus, that's going to take a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. For you to actually follow him. See, I can get you to cry. I bet you I can tell you enough stories and pull on your heartstrings and create some sort of emotional decision. But at the end of the day, will your life really turn around and be supernaturally different to where you're a light in the world and where you could care less about the things of earth and all you're focused on is seeking his kingdom first? No. That's going to take an act of the Holy Spirit. And either he does that in your heart or he doesn't. And so I'm just here as this watchman explaining that, look... We live in a really messed up world. We live in a time when, when people are so arrogant that they don't believe that God has the right to tell them what to do. That's how twisted our world is. We believe as created beings that we have the right to tell our creator what the rules are. That's the world we live in. When you walk out the doors, that's the type of world we live in. Where people just say, well, God can't tell me this. God can't tell me that. Oh, in fact, later on, he, he addresses, let me, let me find it real quick. Um, it's in Ezekiel 33. Um, verse 17. Verse 17. He says, yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just. When it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. 
Okay, he says, this is how screwed up your people are. You know, God's telling Ezekiel, your people are down there saying, well, well, God has no right. His ways are not right. When it's their ways that aren't right. Isn't that the world we live in? People are saying, man, you, you can't tell me that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And God says, he says, no, not only can I tell you, but I will judge you for it. That's the warning here. Look, it's, it's so, I see, to me, it makes sense. I, I don't, I don't understand the thinking of the world. To me, it makes sense that if I'm a created being, I didn't even exist, and I'm just, I'm made, I'm made from nothing, then I don't have a lot of rights. That makes sense to me, that there's the creator, it's all about him, whatever he says goes. Now, and, and so, if he says, look, this is what I've done, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, I am gonna come, I am gonna judge, my sword is coming, then me as a created being, I don't fight against that and say, no, your ways are not just, your ways are not right. I just go, okay, you know what, whatever you say goes. But, but here's the beautiful thing about it. Look at verse 10. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Verse 11. This is so beautiful. Listen to verse 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Isn't that beautiful? God goes, you got to understand, as surely as I live, he goes, I promise you, I swear to you, if I'm alive right now, then this is true, God says. I promise you. He goes, I don't want wicked people to die. You think I want wicked people to die? He goes, I swear to you, I don't want the wicked to die. I want them to turn from their ways and live. He goes, what, you think I'm looking forward to pouring out my wrath upon you? He goes, that's not the type of God I am. I will do it. But he says right there, he goes, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That's the heart of your God in heaven right now. He's saying, you're not, you're not following me. You're, you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. And I've sent my prophet, I've sent my watchman to tell you that. And he goes, don't you see? He goes, I don't want you to perish. I'm, I'm giving you every chance. I'm telling you the storm's coming, the army's coming, the sword's coming, the wrath is coming. And so turn from your ways and live. We have the opportunity to do that. We have an opportunity to be forgiven of everything we've ever done. We have an opportunity to be filled with his spirit and turn and start living the way God wants us to. And he's warning us and he's begging us. He goes, look, I'm not this God that just wants to pour out my wrath on these people. He goes, so I'm asking you, please turn. He goes, why would you just die? Why would you just keep going this direction when you can have me? All of the forgiveness, you can turn your life around, you can live. In verse... um, 
look at verse 23. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the inhabitants of these waste places in the land of Israel keep saying, Abraham was only one man, yet he got possession of the land. But we are many. The land is surely given to us to possess. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat flesh with the blood and lift up your eyes to your idols and shed blood. Shall you then possess the land? You rely on the sword. You commit abominations and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Shall you then possess the land? Say this to them. Thus says the Lord God. As I live, surely those who are in the waste places shall fall by the sword. And whoever is in the open field, I will give to the beast to be devoured. And those who are in the strongholds in the caves shall die by pestilence. And I will make the land a desolation and a waste. And her proud might shall come to an end. And the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that none will pass through. Then they will know that I am the Lord. When I have made the land a desolation and a waste. Because of all their abominations that they have committed. He's saying to Israel. They see the Israelites were saying. Hey you know what? He made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham. And that was just one guy. And says, look, you're going you're gonna to get the promised land. He goes, look at all of us. We're all together. And we're all Jews. We're all the people of Israel. So, of course, he's going to take us back into the land. And God says, are you kidding me? He goes, look at the way you're living your life. And you think you're going to go to the promised land? Look at the adultery. Look at the idolatry. Look at the, the, the greed. All of this stuff is going on in your life and you think that I'm going to take you back there? Why? Because there's a bunch of you? Now here's the part that uh, <laughs> this, this is to me the, the newest part of the passage to me. I never noticed this before. Um, but it's at the end of the passage and, uh, and this really, really, uh, really had an effect on me. Verse 30. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So that, that's a part that had a big impact on me. He, he, goes, he says to Ezekiel, here's what's going to happen. The people, they're going to come. They're going to come like the people of God, and they're going to come and listen to you. In fact, afterwards, they're going to leave there, and they'll even talk about your message. And they'll talk about you and how well you delivered it. He goes, but they're not going to do it. He goes, he goes, he goes, Ezekiel, you're going to be like a person who plays an instrument really well and has a beautiful voice. Like everyone will come and want to listen, but at the end of it, they're not going to do anything about it. See, and that's my fear. You know, when I read this, I go, okay, God, please don't let that be us. I don't want that to be us. 
Man, I, I don't want, I don't want to be the guy that's up here. I know God's given me an ability to speak. I know, I know that, that I, you know, He's shown that. It's just, hey, Francis, will you speak here? Will you speak there? It's like, okay, great. I'll speak here. I'll speak there. I'll speak to these people. And people will come and listen to what I have to say. They'll listen to the message. People are watching this podcast. They're on their computer. Going, okay. What's He saying? What's He saying? What's He saying? You know, that's all fine and great. But at the end of the day, do you do anything? I mean, what's actually done? God's saying to Ezekiel, look, people are going to listen to you. They're going to listen to you and go, man, look at that guy. He's talking about this destruction that's coming. Wow, listen to him. He's really interesting. He's really good to listen to. He's like a musician who plays an instrument and sings really beautifully. He'll attract a crowd. The problem is, is they won't do it. Like, their life doesn't change. And I'm going, God, I don't want that to be us. The Bible says that the good soil is the person who hears the message and then there's fruit. It like multiplies 30, 60, 100 times. Like you hear one little, one little verse, one little message from the Lord and then boom, there's just all sorts of results in your life. That good tree that bears good fruit. He goes, but then there'll be a, others who aren't good soil. There'll be others in there who... You'll hear the message and you go, oh, I, I really want to do something with that. But the Bible says that there's so many other things in your life, so many other thorns in your life that you can't, you, you, you can't fit anything else in. You're like that thorny soil. It's like, well, I want God and I want to obey, but there's a lot of other things I want. And so you never really get around to it. Or you're the person that'll, you'll like it to a point, but then when it gets too difficult or when life gets difficult and God doesn't make everything on this planet work just the way you want to, you'll, you'll walk away from him. And there's some that just won't even hear it at all, but there's others who will hear it and do something with it. If I were to be honest, I feel like most of our church is that, uh, that thorny soil. I see in your hearts a desire for God, but a desire for a lot of other things too. And so it's hard to really fit it all in. And so you'll hear a message like last week and go, man, yeah, I really should just anguish over my friends who don't know Jesus and do everything I can to warn them and tell them. But then you got busy with a lot of other things this week. It's, it's like... Uh, you know, this, this water bottle. And uh, if I wanted to fill it with milk, you know, the Bible talks about the word of God being the pure milk of the word. What, what do I have to do? Do I just start pouring milk in there? It's not going to work, is it? You got to kind of empty out whatever's in there and make the room. And I feel like we fill ourselves with so many things and we're just filled to the top. Man, we don't have time for... for you don't even have time to think about your response to people because you're responding so with so many things going on in your life and you're filled with other things, with your possessions, for your entertainment, everything else, that, that I give you the word, and you go, ooh, that'd be nice if I could fit it in. And, and there's got to be this, this, this part of emptying ourselves. You know, last... Uh, 
After Friday night, I was just convicted about that. And I go, God, you know, I think I entertain myself and fill myself with so many things that I don't have room for you. So when I get in modes like that, I just, I go, okay, let me fast then. And so I stopped eating, you know. And, uh, you know, when you stop eating, you, you get this hunger. And the whole idea is, God, I want that hunger for you. Not just to stuff my face whenever I have a desire. I want to desire you above all those things. And just saying, God, you know, fill me with you. I want to experience you more than I want to eat right now. And that's certainly true. It's like, God, I just want you to speak to us this morning more than I want food, more than I want anything. See, over the summer, I did a lot of, a lot of thinking about my life. And, and I realized I, I've gotten less bold in some ways. Some of you guys are going, are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I really have. I, I, really, I really have become less bold in many ways. See, when I, when I first got married, I, I, was, I was kind of a jerk, to be honest. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about. You know, you're just all into yourself, and, and it's hard suddenly. It's, it's humbling, and you realize how proud you are. But when I was first married, I was so sure of myself. I'd make decisions and go, no, this is the way. This, this is it. This is it. And then you start making mistakes, right? And you kind of go, ooh, I was pretty sure of myself. And maybe I spoke too soon and I was wrong. And it's humbling. But then over time, you realize, let me not speak so quickly. Let me think it through before I speak. Let me think through my decisions because there's ramifications not just for me, but for my bride and then for my kids. And same is true with, with the church. Um, you know, as a pastor, I'd start off and go, man, this is the way it's got to be. This, you know, and then over time you realize, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I jumped on that too quickly. And I wouldn't have made the same decisions now as I'm older and I've, I've got a little more wisdom. But what happens, though, is what can happen is after a while, you almost start to second guess everything. You know what I mean? When you make so many decisions that were wrong, you know, as a, as a, as a dad or as a husband, that you start to go, gosh, I, I, I think I'm a failure. I don't know if I can make any decision right. And you just kind of sit there and try to think through things. And pretty soon you're scared to make any decision. And the same thing happens as a pastor. You start going, man, I was wrong about that. I was wrong about that. Maybe I should just not really say anything. But then there comes that time when you, you look at everything and you go, okay, I am unsure about this and I am unsure about this and I am, and I am unsure about this, but this I know. Okay, now this comes from years of, okay, I, I've seen, okay, this stuff I know, this stuff I'm unsure, I'm sure of this, I'm unsure of this, I'm unsure of this, I'm going to go a certain direction, whatever, but this I just know, I just know, I've known it for years. I've known it for years. I've known it ever since I was a believer. Ever since I, I started studying the Bible for myself, I've known these things. And I can't be scared to teach these things. In fact, I have to teach these things. And, and as I was just writing down, you know, this summer about all the things I was unsure of, I just stopped myself. I go, what am I sure of? What is it that I know I just can't live with anymore? And, and, and even this morning, I'm writing down, okay, if I had to stand before God right now, let's say this is the last sermon I ever give, and I stand before God this afternoon. What is it that I'll regret? What are the things that I just know 
And here they are. Discipleship. What, what, was, what was the first thing Jesus said publicly? Remember his first words, anyone? What did Jesus say? A John's thing was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. What did Jesus say? Follow me. Right? Remember? That was the first thing he saw the disciples. He has temptation with, uh, with Satan, but then he's walking and he looks at a couple guys and he says, follow me. Is that all he said? And I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Okay, this is what Jesus says to us. These are his first words. Follow me and what? I'll make you fishers of men. I'll have you going out. You'll put down your nets and everything else and whatever you're busy with. The most important thing is I'm going to change your life. And now you are going to go out there and you're going to start fishing for people rescuing them being that watchman telling them look you know what you can come under the kingdom of god you can come under his lordship you you just follow me and that's what we're going to do what were the last words of jesus yeah go into all the world and make disciples of all nations you baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey everything I commanded you, and I'll be with you always. So his first words are, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. His last words are, go into all the world and start making disciples. So what are we saved to do? Fish for men, make disciples. And everything in between is about everything that he commanded and how we're supposed to teach it. So we are supposed to be out making disciples. And here's what I can't live with is that some of you have been sitting in church services for years and years and years. And you can't name one disciple. You, you, you can't name one person that you went and, and, and fished after. And went, went, you guys, that's what we're saved for. And we've created this system where we can be busy doing other things rather than making disciples, rather than going out. Because the truth is, is we're ashamed. We're scared to share the gospel. We don't want to tell people about this Jesus. You don't want to tell people about this wrath that's coming. I mean, you're going to be, be rejected. You'll be laughed at. We live in a time when people mock the idea of God having the audacity or even the authority to come and, uh, and judge. So are you really going to go out there and talk to people about that? Are you really going to try to fish for people? Are you really going to tell them everything that God said? No, you'll find another way. And we've created ways that you can stay busy without making disciples. But at the end of our lives, God's going to look at you and say, where are your disciples? He's going to say, man, didn't you hear what what Francis said that one week about the eternal destiny? And I don't want people going through that. And yet you didn't go and warn them. You, it's, it's, it's not my responsibility. We, everyone, everyone who's a believer should be making disciples right now. And so it's just weird that we gather and hear sermons if we're not actually going out and making disciples. And all I want, I just want to be around a group of people that literally believes the Holy Spirit is in them and they're supposed to be going out and making disciples. That's who I want to gather with. And we've got to stop. Because here, here's the truth. Truth is, is I'd rather do just about anything than go out and make disciples. I'd rather sit in my office and study for 20 hours. I'd much rather do that and prepare just this awesome sermon. And then get up here and speak it. 
See, that's a lot easier than going out and talking to someone that you just pretty much guess in your head he's going to reject God. But I'm going to give it a shot anyways. And I'm guessing you would rather fold bulletins or stack chairs or, 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 or teach Sunday school or, or uh, you know, help a lady across the street, whatever. And, and of course, all those things are good. I, I got to do that. I got to preach because that's my gift. And, you know, I got to study. I got to know the word. Those are all good. I'm not downplaying those things. I'm just saying that sometimes we kid ourselves by doing those things to the exclusion of discipleship. The one thing he asks us to do. And it's not enough to pray about it or think about it or have a Bible study about it. When I tell my daughter, go clean your room, she doesn't come back to me and say, well, I prayed about it. (laughs) Called some of my friends and we studied what it would look like if we cleaned my room. (laughs) Where everything would go and I could tell you exactly what's a mess in my room right now. And everything in my heart is telling me, go and clean it, Dad. I don't look at her and go, you know what, that's good enough. I said, no, I, I said, clean your room. That was a nice try, but go clean your room. And why is it so difficult when God says, go make disciples? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then we come with all these other things to do and how we do it in our heart. I was sharing last week, I go, when I was a kid and we played follow the leader, it was very easy. We just did whatever the leader did. When we played Simon Says, it was very easy. You just did whatever Simon said to do. Why is it in church that we have a whole different set of rules that really don't make any sense about these heart things and these feeling things and, oh, the intention, just go make disciples. The other thing that I can't live with anymore, you guys, is when I read the Bible, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. He says, love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. All of it. He says, if you love your father, your mother, your wife, your kids more than me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Those are Jesus' words. It's not what I would have said. It's what he says. See, I would say, man, if you give me time, man, I'm happy to have any of your time. Jesus, no, I, I want... I want I want you to seek me first. And I believe in this room, there are plenty of people who do seek the kingdom of God. My question is, do you really seek it first? Do you really go, this is, this is what I care about. It's not about my kingdom, my house, my family, my stuff, my security. It's about your kingdom. I just want everyone under your lead. Your, I, I want, I, I, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Let thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on this earth like it is. That's what I pray. That's what matters to me is your kingdom, not my stuff. And again, you seek it. But do we seek him first? I'm just like, I I can't live with that anymore. I can't live with that guilt with not at least telling you it's not enough to seek his kingdom. It's not enough to say you believe in God and you want God in your life. You actually have to let him in and actually seek him first. And then finally, the last thing that I thought, you know what, I can't live with this anymore because I can't stand before God without saying this and not just saying it, but really somehow moving beyond that and actually doing something about it. Jesus says he wants us to love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. He, he wants this room. He, he wants us to be brothers and sisters. In fact, beyond brothers and sisters, he wants us to be one body. 
I, I think if God looked at our church, he didn't want a bunch of individuals, you know, living their individual lives and we just come together to sing songs and hear a message. He really wanted us to love each other that much to where we really were one. He wants to look down and he doesn't want this to look like a show. He doesn't want Cornerstone to look like a business. He wants us to look like a family where we, we put up with each other and we love each other. And I, I, I can't just go on saying, yeah, we'll just get a bunch of people in the room and we live in kind of a independent, individualistic society. And so let's not force people into relationship. Let's let them come to church and find the people that are just like them and the people that they'd want to gravitate to anyways and, and have them start small groups. No, God wants us to come in this room and say, man, you're completely different from me. But you're a child of God and the spirit is in you and he wants us to be brother and sister. And you and I, we, if we were not believers, we'd never hang out. But I love you because you're my brother, you're my sister. And, you know, so we said, you know, let's, let's get people doing that in their own neighborhoods first. And just getting to know other Christians. I know you have other Christian friends that are in other places and, and you gravitate to them and you have more similar likes. And I'm not saying get rid of those friends. I'm just saying, look, here's how God wants the church to look. Here's how he wants his people to look. He wants to see these believers on this block knowing each other, loving. That's God's desire. And not that we just drive right by them. He wants us to be family. He wants to see the way that you love one another. And the world would look on and go, wow, I've never seen people love like that. Those two people, they'd never hang out together. But because of what they have in Christ, they're going to give their stuff to one another. Pray for one another, put up with each other. We've got to create a church that really loves one another. The Holy Spirit has to do that through us. You need to be a person who seeks his kingdom first. And you need to be making disciples. That's what we do, that's our identity as believers. And so I just want to take the morning and surrender those things to God. In fact, let me have the worship team come up. And I want you to think through these things. I, I, I don't know how to do this, you know, other than telling you it's, it's not okay just to be busy and attend services and go, okay, I got it. I don't swear a whole lot. I don't drink as much as I used to. I'm a better person. You guys, that could happen at any self-help meeting. I'm talking about something that the Holy Spirit does where he comes into you and you're a completely different person. Let me ask you something. Maybe this will just sum it all up. You ever, um, you ever, you ever seen someone who's demon-possessed? And I'm not sure that I have either, but just in the movies, right? And you, you picture in your head, right? What happens when a person's demon-possessed? A demon comes into him, starts speaking through him, and he, he kind of like has no control over his body at that point. This, this, this thing comes in and takes over, and he allows this thing to come in and take over. My question to you is, do you want to be spirit-possessed? Holy Spirit-possessed. Literally, the Holy Spirit comes into you and now he speaks through you and now he moves you, he directs you. Do you really want to die to yourself and let Christ live through you to where you start talking and people go, that doesn't sound like you. That sounds more like Jesus than it does you. 
You know those horror movies when the demon would come in and suddenly, you know, and suddenly the whole voice, it's like, wait, who is that? That's not you. I know you and that's not you. You know, something is inside of you. Now my question is, do you really want that with the Holy Spirit? Honestly, let go of everything to where you go out and you have a boldness and you start speaking just like Jesus did. Start making disciples to where you start loving people the way Jesus would? I mean, complete surrender, complete surrender. Are you ready to surrender to him today?